the systems in place that are there to support them are fucking them over constantly. So there's a constant feeling of mistrust. So when I get the feedback, we don't feel judged when they come in. That's all I want. Hi, this is the Ignoramus's Guide to Surviving Humanity. I'm your co-host, I guess I should say, Ileana Chan, with um, your other co-host for today, your new co-host, Sayorsa. Um, And we're doing like a little mini series about what to do in this life. I think that's, (laughs) and we're starting with um, this episode which I've entitled tentatively, What the Heck is Mutual Aid? And our very special guest, Kira May. Hi. (laughs) So the All Rise Collective is a collective. Um, There's a few of us. Um, We we like to organize protests, um, especially against poverty. But our main project is the South End Community Care Bank. So we distribute hygiene items to those who need them. Um, at the moment, we have two of them. We started with one in December 2020. And um, I think we had like two or three families come. And then a couple of weeks later, we had like five families come. We were so excited. And now it's just grown into this huge thing. Um, so we started a second one in another venue, uh, not too far away. And yeah, and again, we're st- I feel like we're starting from there, baby steps. So that's our main kind of thing. I'm also part of South End Pride, organizing our festival completely corporation free. <laughs> oh my gosh, wow. Yeah. That's a huge challenge and uh, love to get into (laughs) some of that later, but uh, yeah. Um, So keeping that as grassroots as possible. Um, Yeah. I I think the more you steer away from corporations in any of these projects, the harder they become. I also co-run an LGBTQIA plus yoga and wellbeing session once a month. It started as a South End based thing again, but during the pandemic, we moved it to Zoom. And so now we have other people like from all over the country um, that join us on Zoom. So we have kind of hybrid sessions now, which is just lovely. I'm, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I'm trying to start some extra projects as well. Like I uh, really want to bring EC Heritage Month to South End and have some sort of event because we have a huge EC community here. Um, and I feel very disconnected from it. So I want to, you know, network and communicate with my community a bit better um and also showcase who we are and what we do here um and how we are in the community and that we're not just lion dancing up and down the high street every <laughs> chinese new year you know and oh we have community and we have um we have integrated into south end and ethics life you know and and the businesses that we actually have and the projects that we actually run um I still have not (laughs) sorted the details out of that yet but that's going to be my next um big project um yeah those are the things off the top of my head right now awesome thank you so the question is what is mutual aid and I guess like we should just begin with why is it different from charity why is mutual aid different from charity um so I ended up googling this afternoon the definition (laughs) of mutual aid 
Cool. Because I, like I said earlier, like I prefer, or I tend to use um, the phrase like community projects. Um, and what I could see from my Google definition was that it's um, it's community giving to com community giving to community and maybe giving and receiving and working together. Um, charity. I mean, obviously, the word charity can mean something different to charities in general as well. Something that we are really passionate at All Rise about is not we don't want to become a charity and we don't want to gain charity status, um, which is a detriment to us. But it means that we can stay as politically active as we are and we can argue against a lot of the policies that the government are putting upon us <laughs> to put it lightly mm. oh wait so um, are you saying protest. that um okay so I'm definitely ignorant about this so you're saying that if there are ways to get charity status in the UK maybe is mm -hmm. that like NGO status which requires that you be like politically neutral or something like that Correct. Yeah. Yes. Um, so charities um, and the way that they operate, I mean, obviously we, we can do like a three hour episode about why charities are bad, honestly. Right. Um, but it, essentially um, charities operate within the existing systems, right? Charities rely on uh, wealthy donors, charities rely on state funding, charities rely on essentially the whims of people that already have resources um, in our society to plead or to beg or to basically, um, yeah, do lots of uh, grant writing, a lot of admin, like a lot of that stuff to be able to get um, morsels of um, resources, whether it's funding or, um, you know, products or whatever it uh, is that they need. Um, and then to distribute it to a select group of needy people that a charity or uh, a donor or a state has deemed to be acceptable uh, to receive mm -hmm. aid uh, or not even aid, but like survival resources, right? We're talking about here. Um, so obviously, the problem with that is that um, it's within existing structures that we know are oppressive, uh, right? We know, I mean, Kira already mentioned corporate intervention, why that's bad, why state intervention is bad, um, and why uh, philanthropy as a concept is also actually more harmful than it is helpful. So charities already operate within, within these constraints, and they also reinforce these constraints, right? Because if you, if you have to be registered as a charity to get funding and grants, then you know you're not you're limiting that, those resources already, right? Um, if you have to keep going into the same channels to get elites or politicians to provide you funding, then again, right, we're reinforcing these existing structures. Um, and mutual aid, I think, is so interesting because uh, as a phrase, like Kira was saying, right, you know, you're practicing mutual aid on a very real level um, across different projects, and you're involved um, quite, I think, intersectionally um, in your community as well. So, but the term mutual aid is not necessarily common vernacular, even though, you know, mm -hmm. I think many groups practice it. Um, so I think it's quite interesting because I think it's something that's come up on the internet quite a lot more recently. Um, I think through COVID, through, um, I think mm -hmm. just people looking for things to do, right? So yeah, I think mutual aid is a response to the completely inadequate systemic 
issues um, that are in place. A lot of these issues are actually caused by the same institutions that are saying they have the only solutions for them. It's a, a, a fight against institutional oppression, right? It's, it's, it's not also gatekeeping who has access to resources because I feel like human rights should be universal. Um, and it's also a really great way for us um, as community members or community organizers to rehearse and um, practice uh, what practices in, yes, doing, but also practices in trying different things to reconfigure mm. um, community, right? And it's so important, as Kira was saying, to be able to do that outside of these already oppressive structures and to not rely on them and to try as much as we can to orient ourselves completely um, away from them. And something that a term that is used quite a lot in movement circles is uh, prefiguration. So it's, you know, trying out these new systems, new ways of uh, interacting or decision making or, you know, a collective organizing so that when the rest of the world catches up to, you know, a new way of thinking or a new societal practice, like we already have these things in place. So you already do see mutual aid groups being able to jump in whenever there's a crisis, whenever there's, you know, something affecting um, a community because they already have kind of those structures in place. So yeah, so I think the difference is very, um, very stark, uh, even though maybe at the end, the end service or the end product might be the same delivering meals to a community, for example, but yeah. clearly, right, the intention behind it is very, very different. I think we mm-hmm. still need to sort of um, define the differences for, especially for people who, I mean, a lot of people are sort of aware of the term mutual aid, but a lot of people still don't think of charity as a bad thing. So um, I'd like to like define a little bit further about how, what the differences are um, and also uh, how charity is harmful. Um, so yeah, either of you can think of maybe like the top, cause I, I read this book that Sayor yeah. said told me to read <laughs> by Dean Spade Amazing. Um, uh, called Mutual Aid, something else <laughs> about solidarity. <laughs> Amazing endorsement of uh, (laughs) Dean Spade's something something about mutual. I I think I got the key word, so that's good. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, and it it was like great to to read and um, listen to in my case, but it's like what you're saying. Mutual aid very much sounds like almost like like any sort of worthy worthy sort of goal an experiment you know what I mean there's like so many things that you have to be fighting for and defining and like you know how do you keep to your ideals etc what what are the top three things you would say that are different that a charity must have so we know that they have to be registered when you when you place a, a number on it it's always like <laughs> you, either always like have to lift yeah or don't or forget the last thing or you yeah. have too many things so. I, yeah exactly <laughs> now now I just know nothing about charities because you've given yeah. I said that I think the other thing was hierarchy there's like because you have to be registered you therefore need some sort of almost corporate structure in a charity yeah. so you need Absolutely. hierarchy mm-hmm. um do you need paid positions? I wasn't sure. I mean, most charities I know have paid positions, but is that actually a requirement of a charity? I'm not sure um, that's a requirement. I'm not sure if it's a requirement either. Um, There's requirements, obviously, to be transparent about your, your spending and your funding. Um, yeah. And again, right, that's, that's another way that you're 
part of the oppressive system because you are reporting <laughs> and well you're first of all having to do the admin of reporting not saying that you know whatever funds that you receive whether you're a mutual aid organization or charity should just go unchecked right. there are there are obviously you know a, a lot of um mutual aid groups that popped up over the pandemic especially when they were just doing like online con contributions at like a very small scale you can just you know screenshot every seat and you know publicize it to people mm -hmm. um so certainly yes mm -hmm. record keeping and transparency is, is really important but the, that's input in mutual aid too right yeah absolutely I mean, but the ways that charities have to you know, go through these hoops um, and have like a, you know, a financial officer, I, essentially. That kind of is like somewhat ironic in the past, like, I guess a few months where, you know, reports about the Black Lives Matter national, I guess, group in America um, has like $90 million unaccounted. And then in the past few days, I think they managed to account for half of that. Um you know, but they're a charity, right? Like they're not a mutual. I, I feel like a lot of the local chapters maybe run like mutual aids, but the <laughs> national chapter is obviously a registered charity. So. Yeah. And another thing about charities, right, is that they, they have to also amass wealth um, so, yeah. or amass assets because they have to then be able to, uh, well, they're, they're collecting, right? They're saying, you know, we need as much resources as possible and then they're holding on to it and then they're deciding how to redistribute it um, uh, along with, you know, the existing hierarchy within their structures, right? So if it goes to like their founder, their, you know, direct main director or whatever, all of that permeates in their operations. So um, it's obviously having, having a hierarchical structure um, maybe gives you clarity in, in some situations, but I think in my experience, and I don't know if the curious experience, that's not really how it works in practice. Well, I mean, we've had to on paper have a, a, a hierarchy as well. Um, we're technically the All Rise Collective are, I always get this wrong, <laughs> are um, a constituted Oh, something group anyway so we have to have a constitution and and the only reason we in, we had a constitution was so that we could get a bank account and the only reason we get a bank account is so that we can receive donations um so there is some towing the line along the way you have to do some things um but you know on paper that's our hierarchy you know on paper uh, i'm the treasurer but it's a collective you know so we have an agreement we share we share the labor as, as equally as we can um, we try you know sometimes one person is doing a lot more than the others and sometimes three people are doing loads and you know a bunch of people um, are just swamped with their lives or illness or family you know um, the thing with not being paid to do it as well and not having like the official thing is is that we do have our lives as well and and keeping it grassroots means that it's a lot harder to find to carve that time and say I'm definitely 100% committed to doing the care bank on these days you know um, some of us have set ourselves that absolute dedicated target but it's not always possible you know <laughs> um, and yeah so we do have to turn the line as well I mean come, kind of coming back to like I don't know if I could list one two three things that make charity different but you can also look at the type of charity as well so um you can i mean the bigger charities all the all the, the known ones that we know of the, the ad tv adverts and stuff 
that's paid for by the charity money you give them, right? So we know that some of those funds aren't really directly going towards, like you said, those marginalized people or, or that marginalized area in the world that the system has deemed, you know, savable in some way. Um, you do get smaller charities that are still very, very new. But yeah, I think that maybe that's what happened with the BLM in America is that they began, you know, and they were relatively small. And then 2020 hits and everyone's like donating, fundraising, you know, setting up these like eight hour long YouTube videos with hundreds of adverts in them just to give money to them. Like, how did they know to suddenly be really accountable for all, all their cash, all of the donations coming in? This is an excuse. I don't know their real ins and outs, but it, it could be possible. You know, if that happened to us all of a sudden, we'd be like, oh my God, we really have to focus and focus and focus. We have had to, we've learned, and it is learning constantly, um, start documenting more of what we distribute. It was a little bit, I wouldn't say free for all, but it was a lot freer um, before. In the last few months, we've had to really kind of be a little bit stricter on how we distribute these things and how we document how much we've distributed as well and how we receive our donations too. So we used to receive just carrier bags of bits and pieces people's old lipsticks and you know and all sorts of weird things um and try and make it work and try and make it something that if people need then we can offer to them but how do you document that oh i got this carrier this tesco bag with a couple of loose tampons and <laughs> the toilet roll in it like how do i document that this is something i've received and i will distribute out you know so um we still take some of those things what we are able to document are the monetary donations that come in, how we spend that, um, and the physical official items that we hand out, you know, and the rest is kind of bonus gift stuff, you know, that we can, here's a box of loose tampons, please help yourself, take a handful, you know, because I, I don't want to put it in like your official bag of like period products, it's just a bit rubbish, isn't it, rather than having a, a sealed, um, unopened box. <laughs> so, you have that and then you've got um people who are so willing to be attached to a charity because they know that that is a name and they know that it looks good to be giving so <laughs> a really fun example are local mps in this area are tory and uh you know that's a big part of why we have the situation that we have here we have terrible poverty in this part of um essex and, um, I had no idea Essex was Tory. Wow. Yeah. I mean, my little local area, what's it? I don't I can't remember the word now. We just had the little local elections, didn't we? And our, our councillors are Labour, but the big MPs are Tory. And I can talk about quite an interesting Tory story in a minute because our previous main MP for South End West was David Amos, who was sadly um, murdered in his constituent. Uh, meeting it was I mean it was an, a horrific terrorist attack and you know we would never condone violence upon anyone not even a Tory you know not even a Tory but he is someone we did target a lot because he has horrible voting record you know he's he's a, his voting record is one of the reasons that we're in this situation where we have to distribute soap to people because they can't afford it anyway the Tory who replaced him has been very desperate to attach herself to various charities and other things. 
and be a face around, which is something that David uh, David Amos is very good at as well, like attaching his face to various things, the right charity as well. Like after he died, all we got was the rhetoric of how into animals he was because he supported animal charities and mm. he helped certain families. And so that stuff was in the papers. Um, we didn't see his, you know, it did start to go viral, his negative voting record, uh, which is why we had then other Tory MPs coming in and saying, we need to get rid of that. They work for us.com because we don't want our voting record on, on um, thingy. It puts us in danger. So here's replacement now. She's, uh, she's been hovering around doing things. Hasn't, hasn't reached out to the All Rise uh, collective, but she was recently endorsing like a funders meeting. There was a, a local meeting where you could, uh, you could attend and chat to places that might give you funding. I had to work. So I tried to get people from All Rise to go. None of us were available. But I managed to get some people from South End Pride to go. And then a few days later, they received a letter from our MP saying that she hoped we received funding at some point from that meeting. And if we would like her to attend any events, she would be very happy to. So instead of actually supporting and encouraging and maybe um, helping with some funding, <laughs> she just wants to be there to cut the ribbon, you know. Mm -hmm. So her face is there, her face is there and is her face is near mutual age, you know, and it, and it looks like she's part of it, but she's not done anything. All she's done is write to us and say, oh, I'll be there. I'll be there to cut the ribbon. I'll be there and, and smile for your photos, mm -hmm. <laughs> which just annoys me more, you know. And then we have other, you know, charities who, like the Ukraine situation right now, how many people have willingly opened their homes to Ukrainians who are fleeing war? but didn't do the same for the Afghans who fled six months previous. And, you know, <laughs> it's a, we know that there's a, a skin color different, uh, difference there and there's a media difference too. Mm -hmm. It's very cool to support Ukraine right now, but it wasn't that cool to support brown Muslims fleeing um, Af Afghanistan. Yeah, it's viewed as apolitical. Uh, to yeah. support Ukraine refugees, whereas for every other country, right? If you so imagine, funny. imagine if you had a Palestinian flag right outside your house, exactly versus versus a Ukrainian flag, you know. It's, yeah, um, it's so shocking how many people are like coming out of the woodwork as suddenly pro NATO, pro war in this. <laughs> it's so disgusting to me, but um, I just don't want people to die. <laughs> Yeah, but exactly. And, and nobody that, does want that. Nobody anyway. wants that. But, you know, having I think you're bringing up really good points on basically how propaganda works, you know, <laughs> in this country, especially since we're so aligned with the U.S. I think we tend to be very blinkered about what our personal propaganda is. Um, but bringing it back to the Tory MP and I one of the ways the charity is humble <laughs> is that a lot of times they are dependent on celebrity endorsements, etc. And they allow this sort of like echo chamber of um, an MP or something whitewashing their record, um, mm. as well as how they're elevating the cause in a way, like, for example, Black Lives Matter, Biden can use that at the same time as funding the police. So you're not only undermining the expressed demand or intentions of the movement you know you've whitewashed uh no pun intended 
Biden's record of racism doing two things at the same time that's like incredibly harmful. So yeah, you're really like hitting upon that. And when it becomes like a hashtag rather than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the difference, right, between what we see in terms of like mobilization and actually organization. So if we're bringing it back to the difference between mutual aid and charity, um, right, we've already talked about the, yeah, the kind of need for state and corporate and, you know, elite approval, um, the hierarchies that just exist, right, you're still working within that that framework, whereas uh, mutual aid is usually sprung out as resistance to the existing framework, uh, as resistance to um, the way that things are currently inefficient and a resistance to, to feeling helpless in your own agency and ability to help your own community. Um, and a lot of the time, mutual aid is also just born of desperation, right? Uh, Kira, in your community, if people can't afford very, very basic necessities, then what do you do? Do you wait for your Tory MP to not do anything? Or do you <laughs> get your friends together and say, fuck this, um, we need to actually provide basic resources to our community. Um, so I think the tension, the intention behind these is very different. And I think uh, mutual aid as well is something that, um, because it's so immediately practicable, right? You don't need the language of mutual aid, you don't need the language of mm. abolition, you don't need the language of resistance to practice it. Um, but it is, so also intrinsically tied to um, more, I guess, radical ideology um, and fits very nicely within an abolition framework, right? Which is how do we divest from these systems um, of violence and incarceration um, that basically dictates what we do, right? So I think it, it just works on so many levels because it, um, it addresses our inherent need, right, to, to help others, right, especially once, I think, especially because of um, COVID, right, people were so desperate to, to figure out what to do. It's very low barrier to entry. It can be something as simple as going to buy groceries for someone, even if on a one-off basis, right, but, you know, the organization of that happens behind the scenes, and maybe there's a group doing that, but your involvement can just be, I'm going to buy some groceries for somebody. But then there's also what I found really interesting, um, listen to Kira as well, is that there's also so much in the way that it's different in how we um, interact with each other right you were saying that you know your um your your partners or your um your teammates give each other time and space and rest um mm -hmm. because burnout is actually a very um very common thing in, in movement work and in, in organizing spaces and that again is very different from a corporate world or charity world right think of all the folks that work in charitable organizations who are severely underpaid and severely, severely overworked, right, with very little resources. Of course, uh, in mutual aid groups, there's often even less resources, but at least there's the option to attempt to have a culture <laughs> where you don't fall into that capitalist, capitalist productivity, you know, bullshit, right, which no charity in my knowledge uh, is against or is uh, openly you know <laughs> against right because it's, it's also this kind of saviorism that you have right you work for a charity or you're associated with a charity you're helping these poor helpless defenseless um souls and it's a way for you to to feel good about that whereas i think whether it's ecological 
decline, whether it's improvements in schools or, I don't know, like helping the trans community, right? Like every single one of these issues that involve a specifically marginalized group of people, the solutions um, that best fit the problem are always on the ground by the communities that are directly affected by, not a white male director of a charity <laughs> telling you how we can solve this problem. Uh, and that's yeah, another they run, thing. Sorry, they run as businesses as well, you know, and, and like obviously with us, we're not, we, we are trying to run as, you know, efficiently as we can. But yeah, like you said, we give each other that space. Um, I do feel like now and then one or two of us will just jump on that WhatsApp group and be like, I'm so sorry, I've not been around and or I've been AWOL, like life has been blah, blah, blah. And none of us are ever, ever crossed with the with anyone. You know, we all yeah. get it. It's very um, hard to do that at work. <laughs> yeah, you Sorry, can't I just do lay that down for three hours. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not ready for no, this but meeting. you can't do that at work. You know, like you can't just be like, oh, my kid has been extra this last like couple of weeks. So I'm sorry I haven't really been responding to my messages. <laughs> like you just can't do that. But uh, so coming back to a similar thing to what you were saying about like celebrity endorsement and this kind of, also like the COVID frustration and everything and just frustration in general so how we started was Lauren our founder she well we were also cross about the 2019 election you know it just it felt like it wasn't gonna go that way it felt like the Tories were not gonna have such a strong hold on that and yet there they are in power and it was insane to see how divided everyone became of that um, so All Rights Collective literally came from that anger. We just kind of banded together and went, right, we need to do something. What are we going to do? And we kind of sat on a few ideas for a while. The pandemic hit. We all went into lockdown. The WhatsApp group was very quiet. Now and then texting each other like, hope you're okay, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then as things started to open up, the um, the news that, the Tories had declined free school meals to children during the half term, the first half term back from school, uh, back into school. And um, just the fury of knowing how badly the pandemic had been handled, how, how many more people are now plunged into poverty because of the pandemic, because of the Tories and austerity and everything. And we were just sitting at home. <laughs> like, what can we do? How can we do this? We're so frustrated. We got all this pent up something. And in our chat, we were like, right, let's protest. Let's protest outside David Amos's office. And we're, we're just, we'll just do something. I don't know what we can do because uh, we can't really gather because of COVID. So uh, what should we do? What should we do? Oh, why don't we put empty plates on his doorstep? Um, and actually, maybe we can write messages on our plates of poverty statistics and question why. How can you do this to the children? How can you do this? How can you be this person? OK, some other people might want to do it. Let's put on Facebook and um, just say, we're going to be here. We're going to put some plates down bring a plate, put it on the doorstep. And we thought it would probably just be us, maybe a couple of friends. I showed up late. <laughs> I tend to be late a lot. I showed up late. Um, five minutes late and there were over 100 people standing outside in the street as well they'd taken over the street and people queuing up down the road plates in hand to take their turn and we covered the whole front garden with plates it was incredible and 
we went in the local paper and then a few more local papers and then some national papers and it went a little bit viral and that's when we realized okay our name is places now people are aware of us this is when we start the care bank we need to ride off of this so that people are aware you know because if we'd have just done it just any time it wouldn't have well no one would have known who we are and it would have been such a long slow mm -hmm. start and it has been a long slow start but it would have been way 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 harder to receive donations and to get the word out of what we were doing so yeah so we used that kind of fame <laughs> you know like the three newspapers that had us in I think we might have been in the eye that was like cool <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah and we just went look okay so yes we protest and yes we're cross and yes, we gave people an outlet to express their anger and frustration, but this is what we're going to do about it. So we did, and we we started uh, the care bank, and all, and that's where it felt like mutual aid. People started mm -hmm. donating yeah. to us, and other projects that were happening, like the red box, the red box project, which had um, ended already because they had won. They had, you know, received the thing of schools. Um, their project was to have red boxes in local businesses and things and you put period products in there and they get distributed to schools so school children can have access to free period products um, but then the government put implemented um, a thing to say yes school children should be entitled to free period products and not have to use the stupid vending machine that's a pound a tampon you know right um, so the red box project had to end because there was no point to it anymore and our local red box project had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of period products. So off I go in my car and I think I put like four or five bin liners full, absolutely rammed my car full of period products. And so that was us sorted for the first six months. Like we didn't have to take any more of those. <laughs> and they wouldn't have known about us if we hadn't have had our faces there, you know. So using that 15 minutes of fame to launch us, and using people's anger and frustration at its most heightened as well worked for us, but never manipulatively, which is, you know, because we're not a, a business, you know, we don't run things like a business. We just ask and we just mm -hmm. say, this is what we're going to use it for. And people trust us, you know, we can't, we don't publish publicly our spending and our receiving and blah, blah, blah. We just ask and people give. And they trust that we use that for, you know, for the care bank. And we do. And we don't receive a wage. And we don't, you know, we don't even take petrol money or anything. It all goes towards the thing. And we started a hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, yeah, Lauren um, coming up with uh, caring is a radical act. And it is. It's using Absolutely. that that hashtag, that business hashtag mentality, but making it radical. You know, caring it is a radical act. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be, but it is. It's completely yeah. mad to take that extra step and do the caring rather than talk about it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that um, there's nothing wrong with using social media or publicizing um, your your organization or mutual aid groups because that's what it's mutual free. aid is about. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, it's free, but also it, it involves it yeah, it, it requires by definition, right, community participation and um cooperation and awareness so um how else would you be able to publicize what you do if you 
don't use social media. Um, I guess the question is, how do you, because I think, I think our assumption or your assumption and my assumption that Black Lives Matter started more in a community-based mutual aid type of structure and then well, got co-opted. Did it, did it? Black Lives Matter is a, a hashtag um, and a movement, but a protest movement, right? It's an, it's an awareness movement. Mm. So again, we're talking about the difference between mobilization and organization, right? Mobilization is very simple. You get a bunch of angry people together. They come together. You shout a lot you bring awareness to the issue which is very important obviously like you know yeah. protests have a huge place in um in our society but afterwards what happens right but i think those protests may have inspired maybe smaller mutual aid programs within different communities i mean that's the thing like the black liberation has been going on since um for for decades right like the the actual work of black liberation hasn't stopped you know um mm-hmm. we uh, well, the, the US um, got the Civil Rights Act, and I think white America thought that that was the end of the racial struggle, but it was not. So Black liberation has been continuing <laughs> and ongoing. Um, Black Panthers were the ones that you know first really created that kind of mutual aid, um, co- not concept, but that practice within, within Black liberation, right? You know, the Free Free Breakfast Program. Um, you have other, um, other more radical groups in the US as well. Um, also, doing very similar things, right? So that history has always been there. Now, Black Lives Matter as a movement, as a hashtag, as a uh, kind of, I guess, momentum building vehicle has been really helpful, obviously, right? And it was also started by Black women. But I think this is where we need to really um, interrogate like our, our, um, our hope of being able to latch on, whether it's a celebrity, whether it's a hashtag, whether it's a movement, right? To be able to latch onto that and then feel good about our association with that and then not uh, inquire about it anymore, right? Because actually BLM, Black Lives Matter, the group um, have been criticized by the parents of Tamir Rice, have been criticized, I think, by other parents as well, saying that they had yeah. fundraised for the, those families, but they never got the money, right? So- I mean, the investigation was, I think, through the Trevor Martin Foundation of, hmm. of the, you know, the founders of hmm. the missing 90 million. Right. So, Exactly. Yeah, so it's not so, like a cohesive group. It's not like the whole of Black Lives Matter movement. No, I mean that's you can't you can't you know it's not you're not a card carrying member of a movement, right? Like right. <laughs> there there may be organizers, but uh, you know if you say you're pro BLM, doesn't mean that you know you got something in the mail that you're that you're um, or that you're you know making a monthly donation. But it's you know it's like we should be questioning if you're giving money to someone, where is it going? You know, if you're being, being directed to give, because a lot of even the local chapters directed people to give donations to the national, you know, rather than whatever local chapter that they were doing, you know, whatever project. That's that they really were doing. odd because that's the opposite practice that we see in legitimate, you know, movements and organizations, right? Because um, usually what we see is that organizations at the local levels and local chapter um, can perform and can work really well because mm-hmm. they're connected to the communities, right? But when you then create this, again, I think really unnecess- unnecessary um, formal structure that's a hierarchy, uh, not mm-hmm. within the, you know, the local chapter, but within like a, a bigger organization, then efficiencies really drop off, right? Like we, we really don't see any large scale national um, hierarchied um, organization that operates really efficiently across the board, right? Um, or it doesn't have really, it doesn't 
really recreate the same systemic issues that we already have, right? Like a lot of these larger, say like climate um, or um, kind of socialist groups, won't name any names, um, are very white, you know, very white. I want you to name names. (laughs) Who are these people? (laughs) Well, uh, there's been, there's a whole documentary on Extinction Rebellion um, that I haven't watched, Um, but that's a very, very classic charitable charitable organization, um, very hierarchical, um, Mm. very old school, right? Relies a lot on, um, yeah, people's I guess, ideas about, you know, what it means to be, uh, you know, what it means to be radical. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it just, it doesn't mean that, you know, we shouldn't be paying our, or we shouldn't be using our resources and, you know, our time to groups or organizations or anyone claiming to, you know, do mutual aid or, um, you know, for social change. It's really, let's not get caught up in, um, relying on other people or let's not get caught up on feeling or thinking that you can just give money to someone and they will solve that problem for you right the same way that you know you shouldn't think like oh I'll just like vote for the next I'll just wait until the next election cycle and I'll vote and then things will improve right while doing absolutely nothing in between mm-hmm. right like how is right. giving I don't know ten dollars to BLM helping black people in your community a lot of this mutual aid stuff is an experiment or like an idealized Mm. how do we take these idealized um, concepts and then actually you know make it practical without there is always going to be temptation like you're saying this Tori MP imagine she came to you with a million pound check so one of the things that we face in Asia is NED or everywhere but NED (laughs) funding you know uh, funding from the U.S. And I've talked to activists in Malaysia and they're like, well, we'll take the money from the US, but then we'll just do whatever we want. And it's like, yeah, but at what point, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure. They have a lot of money though. And the NED, so they might not have that much oversight. So at some point you can get away with some of that. Yeah. There's going to be a point. We sat and had a meeting about this. You know, one of our first meetings was like, okay, <laughs> it was that exact question. Say a Tory comes to us and says, hey, I've got 10,000 for you. Um, what are we going to do? And we all said, we're not going to take it because it, how can we? It's just completely hypocritical. How can we protest against them whilst receiving money from them? And we have gotten by, you know, without receiving any of that. Is there of- anyone that you would receive 10,000 pounds? I mean, I said a million, but like <laughs> 10,000 pounds from? Yeah, I mean, there are, so we received some money from um, a COVID relief fund. So we just had to prove that what we do benefits people struggling after um, lockdown, the pandemic in general, blah, blah, blah. And a huge result of the lockdown and the pandemic and how badly it's been handled has been poverty. So that, you know, we fall under that bracket. Mm. And people were very pleased to donate to charities, you know, and those those mutual aid buckets <laughs> as well during, during the pandemic. A lot of people that were able to work from home, suddenly not spending it in the pubs and things, don't know what to do, sitting there frustrated, oh, I'll donate here, I'll donate there. Yeah, so those, those emergency funds are there, but they're hard work. You know, you don't get a Tory just come over to you and say, here's some money. <laughs> you have to Which is why you should always take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I think that's that's super fair. I mean, I think every group, right, as long as you have 
your principles and your your reasons for for it and it, as long as it's transparent mm-hmm. or as long as you can articulate that to people that give you money then I think it's perfectly valid whatever decision that you make um I mean it's we in have- our constitution we so we like I said we had to write a constitution and we, we wrote that um the only only people that can be part of what we do are people that follow our morals and values mm-hmm. um because what is the point otherwise <laughs> there's no point is there um yeah. yes we're still benefiting people and maybe we won't get to benefit as many people but so far so good (laughs) and yes okay if we were suddenly a nationwide thing then yeah we'd maybe have to rearrange some priorities but I hope that that doesn't happen like one you don't want this there is a nationwide um hygiene bank I can't remember who started that but um we're not part of that we're not a branch of that we are our own thing and that's I think that that attributes to the trust that people have in us as well. You know, they can see who we are and we are very active people in the community. So people know who we are, you know, if they don't know us directly, they know people who know us. So mm-hmm. we, that does help. Yeah. And that's another key yeah. difference, right. To mutual aid mm-hmm. is that, you know, you are actually embedded in the community um, yeah. <clears throat> and you are a community member advocating for yourself um, yeah. versus charities often take a very, top-down view uh judgmental view right um if you think about mother Teresa, like the the shit that she said about the people that she was helping um you know like that that judgmental saviorism just isn't present in well obviously egos and personalities aside um but you know through through i guess the 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 structure and through um yeah the intention right that's just it's just not you don't have that same problem um with yeah it's 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 a feedback we get a lot actually is that the people that you know our service users don't feel judged when they come to us and that's something again because of the nature of what we do attending a hygiene bank or you know which is why we also changed it to care bank rather than hygiene bank right it's shrouded in shame people this is one of the statistics that made us really really want to get this going and successful people will go without hygiene items toiletries and washing before they'll go without food so if you can't afford the loaf of bread you can't afford your deodorant either so you'll forego the deodorant and the shower gel to buy the loaf of bread and the can of beans so that your family can eat for the next few days and we don't want people to feel shame when they come to us we want people to come and receive we've now done them in brown paper packages so you don't even have to share what's been given out you know they receive hygiene packets and they leave with them sometimes they stay in chat we never ask any questions we answer questions if they have them we direct them to any local services that we're aware of that may be able to support them if they've asked for that but we make no judgment and we don't take you know it's a non-referral system as well some of the charities some of the food banks and things you have to be referred there so someone has your details along those ways so there's no means testing either. No, no. Which has also led to some negativity. Not, I wouldn't say that we've had that much negativity from donators or anything like that. But some of the other service users have sometimes turned on each other and be like, they don't need all that. Or, you know, mm. I've seen them doing this and that, you know, and we just say, that's okay. <laughs> it takes a lot to come to us. And you know, they're going to receive 20 quid worth of stuff. If you're going to sell 20 pounds worth of toiletries, 
you need 20 pounds for something you know it's it's a sad state to be in to need 20 pounds of toiletries you know it's a it's a big brave step to come out of your home come to the designated time and place that we've set to receive these things and we respect that and you know people always will want to turn on each other that's human nature so we let them kind of vent it and then we say what we say and we continue on you know we keep it as fair as possible um but that is hard sometimes (laughs) i know um yeah i know your comment about human nature was a throwaway comment um but i i I did want to kind of dig into that a little bit more right because i think um we are told a set of truths about society um, mm. that are not rooted in reality, mm-hmm. right? Everything that we struggle for is this perceived, overall perceived um, scarcity of mm-hmm. resources. Um, yes. It, it's Simply practically, yeah, it is true, practically, yeah. Um, yeah, it is obviously practically propaganda, um, restricted mm. um, because of the way that it's distributed, right? So absolutely our, our poor marginalized communities um are facing you know clearly facing shortages in, in resources um and it's it's this like fight for resources right that gives mm. rise to this competitive um scarcity mindset right where like well you only have you know a certain number of these products so obviously if that person gets more than we get less um but that doesn't really get extrapolated at the kind of wider resource, global resource level, right? Where we just know, we, we know we have, we have those resources. Yeah, um, so I completely I agree. And I think, yeah, that was a throwaway comment. But I think as well, some of that panic of when people are saying things like that is because they, they have that mindset. Oh, there's only a limited amount. There's only a limited I mean, amount. I think that's what they're we're told. I'm going to get less. Mm-hmm. We're told yeah. that. Yeah. And I've heard so many people arguing that exact point that our Tories like you know that are like we can't give we can't you know give like affordable housing because Mm -hmm. there's that one person that took advantage and did you hear they had like a beautiful flat with three bedrooms in Chelsea (laughs) and I'm like wow this one person now we can't give it to anyone who needs it you know yeah but I hear that a lot the scarcity mentality yeah yeah yeah, it's just the scale of it is just so skewed, right? Um, I think mm. what like benefit frauds is like what 0.2% or something of our total budget, whereas we <laughs> yeah. talk about like wage theft, if we talk about uh yeah, yeah corporations avoiding tax, like you know, yeah. all these things add up to you know trillions of, of pounds basically for the economy. Um, not to mention as well the the way that the the UK government um spends is actually very mm-hmm. different to how we perceive it as well. Um, but that that's a story for another podcast yeah. I think um, so yeah so like we're basically yeah. obscured from understanding where where or who is actually truly in need and you yeah. know we're also very much boxed in with um, the, the, the limitations of uh, of solutions right like if you uh, we talked about media a little bit earlier but if you, if you look at how media represents our issues right they will often present you with the whatever the latest representative said that they're going to do mm-hmm. um you know, what what maybe national government said they're going to do maybe yeah a few charities like say we should do right but they never really give you any other options beyond that right like think mm-hmm. of i mean kira your um your efforts got the attention of the local news right but think of how many how many voices we don't hear about people that are actually practically doing something um in their 
the kind of local communities um, that's just not getting publicized and not being aware of. So yeah. then we're kind of caught in this like loop of like, oh, well, we have to rely on these on these people or these institutions because, you know, the, the they're our um, only the, option. Yeah, the yeah. New York Times said like, you're right, this was what Biden said. So that's what we have to go with. Um, so, yeah, so I think um, we're just very limited in imagination, both in terms of um, the reality of why people need the things that they need and also the possibility of what we can do to, to immediately address all of those issues. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so like I said, we made some changes over the last few months of how we distribute things and how we um, log everything that we hand out now. Um, and it's a lot more organized, but also it's it's calmed down some of that panic that like, oh, we, there's not going to be enough and they're taking more, blah, blah, blah. Um, a major thing that we've done is two people at a time. You can only come in two people at a time. So no one else is looking at who's grabbing what and blah, 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 you know, because no one's grabbing anything. No one's being greedy. And I've heard that word used about our service users and I, it makes me so cross. I've heard it from people, civilians. I've heard it from service users. I've heard it from other charity people coming in to come try and support us. And I've, it makes me so cross every time I hear that because I can't imagine anyone being greedy enough to, to take some shower gel, to take a, a, a pack of period pads. Like, my goodness, listen to yourself. Um, and I know, you know, like, it, it, some, sometimes these words just do fall out. But now, two in, two out, it's working well for us. Brown paper bags is working well for us. And it is kind of, I guess it, it works because we can't change everyone's mentality. You know, how can we do that? And unfortunately, people in poverty are more susceptible to this, these lies that we're given, this propaganda that we're given, because what other choice have they got? And what other example are they being able to, to see? The systems in place that are there to support them are fucking them over constantly. So there's a constant feeling of mistrust. So when I get the feedback, we don't feel judged when they come in. That's all I want. You know, I want them to know that they've saved 20 quid in their supermarket shop that week <laughs> and that um, they're going to come to us and we've got our kids running around because we're nutcases who bring our kids to the care bank and, and we're smiling and we're chatty and we'll stand and chat to you for five, 10 minutes if you need to. Maybe, I mean, it's different now, but obviously when we started, we were still in lockdown. So maybe that's the only five, 10 minutes chat you've had with someone all week, you know? Yeah, it's, it's hard because we do come, the conversations we have with people who want to help are shrouded in that mentality as well. Yeah, like I said, whether it's just people and local community people that want to come and donate or drop off things. And something that I've learned over the last couple of years as well is people are very willing to help and donate items but they tend to like do a loft clear out and shove it at you um and it is it is almost like relinquishing the guilt you know and I will always be grateful to any donation that we receive but sometimes you spend more time sifting through the nonsense than receiving quality things that you've asked for um we did a, a um we raised what's, what's the word we um we wanted to receive donations for the Afghans, the displaced Afghans that came to South End. Um, and we are friendly with the hotel manager of the hotel where they were placed. So um, it was, that was actually through South End Pride. We received um, donations of clothing and 
toys, coloring books. That, those are the kinds of things that we ask for because, you know, <laughs> these people are arriving with nothing, barely a backpack. So they need toothbrushes and they need everything, pairs of socks and underwear and stuff like that. Stuff that, you know, that, that you need when you wake up in the morning and you put on your clothes. They don't have any of that, you know, so that's what we wanted. But we got a lot, a lot, a lot of loft clear out. And it filled, we finally found a space to store all this stuff in. And it was like, it was an office space and it filled almost from floor to ceiling the entire room. And then we started taking over a second room and we had to put a stop to all the donations and people were furious, but I've done this and I've bagged up 10 bags of stuff, blah, 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 blah. What am I going to do with them now? It's just sitting in my living room now. It's like, okay, you've done that. But so have a hundred other people and I have no space to store this stuff. Um, and a lot of it's not culturally appropriate. Have you considered what you're donating? Or are you just emptying your pockets at us? You know, um, yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing. But yeah, you don't want to gatekeep what people want to give either. You don't want to start saying like, well, don't do that. <laughs> because we don't want to put people off either, you know. Mm. It's, it's, yeah. it's a really hard balance to try and keep everyone happy. Mm. I mean... That's, yeah, that's very interesting. And I can totally see that being um, part of the, the charity mindset, right? Where mm. I am better than the person that I'm giving mm -hmm. things to. So why should I show any care or, um, <clears throat> or any attention, right, to, to what it is? Like, they should just be grateful for whatever. It's like, you know, when, when people complain about houses, people not wanting the meal that they had, you know, like, oh, well, you know, how dare you, uh, you know, have a dietary requirement. Yeah. Or <laughs> have a preference for what you would like to eat as a human being. Um, so yeah, I think that kind of attitude, I think is really permeating. Right. And it's, it's again, very against the, the concept of mutual aid, which is inter community care as well. Right. It's not just about, you know, shoving things, uh, or like, I don't know, fucking like Trump throwing toilet paper at people, you know, it's like, it's very much, you know, like all the care and attention that you bring or you and, you know, all rights collective bring to your care banks in the, in the interactions that you have with people, right. You're actually treating mm. people as whole humans that deserve mm. basic needs, essentially basic necessities. So I think, yeah, it's very, it's very telling that the, yeah, donors and, and givers kind of have that kind of attitude. I mean, I, I remember seeing a lot of donation requests at the time for Ukraine as well. And, but I was actually really encouraged to see the requirements change regularly, right? All the times. So I remember like when all of those kind of donation collections were happening, you know, like uh, you'd have regular updates from all these different groups saying, okay, now we don't need these. We need these now. Now we, so it's like, yeah. oh, someone is actually taking the time to get resources that are required and needed based on the information that they're getting. So think of all the logistical planning that's required for that yeah. to be able to respond yeah. to that, to be able to, you know, uh i guess avoid the situation where you have like 10 bags in your living room and like nothing <laughs> and but nowhere they, for it to go by the time they they're making that statement they're still receiving those unwanted things as well <laughs> and people and every time that you know you see that on facebook like okay now we only want these three things and then you've got 100 comments saying yeah but i've got blah 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 blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right but it's not about you is it <laughs> is it sarah yeah, exactly. so maybe and then and the poor people that are organizing though they're not they're not doing it for free like a lot of them um, are marginalized people themselves and they're doing it because they understand and they know mm -hmm. what is needed and they know how important it is to get that aid to that place and it was incredible because uh, the, the thing with the the 
the donations for Ukraine was that people were putting them in trucks and getting there. Yeah. That was insane. Um, But yeah, those people, like, did anyone donate petrol money? Did anyone, you know, at what point do the people that are organizing this, do they get support as well? Mm. And it's traumatic. It must must have been horribly traumatizing to go there, to be there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's think, a difficult job. I think we're just like so out of practice, you know, mm. of like caring for each other. Um, I think that's yeah. kind of the main thing, right? Like, I think, I can't remember, maybe Kieran, you mentioned earlier uh, that, yeah, once a year, you know, uh, right, once a year, we've got API Heritage Month in, in the US. Uh, mm. Once a year, you've got Black History Month, right, in February mm. in the US. I think, when's it here? Um, a, d- a different month here. Um, right. or something. You have, you have a, a window mm. of time where you mm. can give your attention and care to uh, someone or, or maybe every four years you vote. Um, or every however you know you vote in a by-election right and then and then in between that time I mean it's so bizarre with the Ukrainian thing because it's not like we have a lack of war war or refugees like this whole time you know so that's even it's even worse I think like yeah I mean the rotating spotlight our attention yeah yeah exactly it is a rotating spotlight it's it's keeping people's attention and people's attention spans are very short so it's it's grabbing their attention now and then. So having that one month or that week, you know, dedicated to the thing once a year, that's when, you know, the donations flood in, the awareness is happening, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. Because everyone's attention span is able yeah. to focus on that in that moment. And we we've noticed that too. So obviously when we did the empty plate protest outside the office, 100 people, you know, I think nearly 200 people showed up put plates down incredible then we did another one against uh killed bill and the anti-protest mm. um bill coming in so but we were like Whoa, how do we how do we do this without protesting how, how are we can do this so we made paper people <laughs> paper dolls oh. and we put those on <laughs> and they, they had our messages to our thing you know and, and um the maybe 50 people came to that and then we did another protest uh, against the um, removal of the abortion pills, the, the postal abortion pills. And I think maybe 10, 20 people showed up to that one. And people, you know, their, their lives get busy. Their attention yeah, go elsewhere. So I didn't even hear about the abortion pill thing. So that means like I'm out of the loop. Yes. However, mm-hmm. also the media really did publicize the lunch uh, because of Marcus Rushford? Rushford, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing. So it's again, it's like as much as I think if I say, you know what, our media is propaganda, most people will nod their heads and agree, but mm. they still won't register what that actually means. And that means that it's also what they omit to report. Yeah. And hence, you know, we've got a lot of media coverage about that. Um, and then a little bit, a little bit on the the kill the bill. I think, mm-hmm. yeah. but we had know. a lot more about the the dangers of protesting than we had <laughs> on the danger of this of this bill going through. And how, yeah, and just like, yeah, exactly. And how it's it's about the inconvenience of the populace, <laughs> yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, oh, that's yeah. what a protest is supposed to do. Um, so we we've tried to use that kind of short attention span mentality to help us 
um, with the the care bank. So we have like seasonal requests. Mm -hmm. So um, at the start of autumn, we ask for coats. We need coats. And we've got hundreds of coats given to us. Um, and obviously we had a connection with the Afghans in the hotel. So all the coats we didn't use, we lent to them. And then other coats that they didn't want, we came back with. And we had that as an option um, until very recently, actually. Take a coat, any coat. Know someone needs a coat, take a coat. These have all been donated to us. We're not going to do anything else with them. They're for you. Take a coat. And then, um, you know, word of the energy crisis started. Okay, we need blankets. We can't warm people's houses, but we can keep people warm. Blankets. Blankets coming out of our ear holes at that point. I'm driving around the county picking up blankets from people. Um, hot water bottles. We took, we decided with the hot water bottles not to take physical donations. We were very strict with that because we didn't want to take something that was old and would explode on someone, you know, and that was the danger. So we took, it became a thing on our coffee. You can buy a hot water bottle for someone. We found some seven pounds each. Okay, seven pound donation hot water bottle. Sold so many, like so, sold them, gained those coffee donations bought a bunch of hot water bottles with everything you know and and that was our thing uh the next campaign i guess is sun cream we've got the summer coming we need to get some sun cream in so we have to do these things you know to keep people interested we do i mean we're lucky because we have the coffee and we have a regular like monthly donation option that people do do but the biggest surge of donation time that we get is when we do these campaigns of, you know, and they're never, you know, we, we're not ever deceiving anyone or, you know, or not getting those things. And they're always related to what's actually happening. Um, but we have to do them, you know, and we have to get a graphic out and we have to like, in, you know, um, somehow like pull on people's heartstrings a little bit and be like, hey, someone can't afford sun cream. It's really dangerous to go out there without <laughs> sun cream on in the summer. Can you spare however much a bottle of sun cream is going to be? And people do, they just check in. Oh, that would have been my coffee. There we go, I'll put that in there. So on a smaller scale, we are using that minimal attention span thing. Obviously we don't have the flexibility of using the press as much, but people do really, really connect in and they start sharing as well. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, well, God, children can't go without sun cream. I'm not sure with all the other parents <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, it's really clever because oh, it's, it's a built-in transparency as well. Like, so mm -hmm. they don't feel like, or you're just amassing wealth and yeah, then what yeah yeah. Mm. yeah yeah i think what you said brought up um a few things for me um one being uh right clearly this kind of spotlighting of um whether it's like struggles or organizations to support it's not effective for the organizations themselves or the movements themselves and it's clearly like lacking in fulfillment for people as well yeah you know I'm not no one is saying to me hey uh Sarasa, I just I I love the fact that like every day there's a new thing that I'm supposed to that I need to donate to there's a new issue <laughs> yeah. that I need to like be front back you know cover to cover aware of there's like a new yeah I just I just love how how my mind <laughs> is constantly occupied and having to constantly shift attention and not feeling like I'm actually you know resolving any of these um helping to resolve any of these problems um so I think it's you know it's also it's not even giving the people what they want maybe it's it's giving media clicks websites and, and obviously it's it's 
it's helping, you know, Fox News and podcasters, uh, male podcasters specifically. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly helping the, the kind of the poison pushers, uh, right, in kind of the cyclical nature. But, you know, people are also just feeling like they are not getting anything out of it. And your experiences in, in practically helping people, I think, should hopefully give people uh, many ideas about how they can engage with the community, right? You know, you're, you're, you mentioning those seasonal um, kind of drives mm. and the kind of the uh, the preparation and you know the logistical things and also the, the publicizing of that right that mm. requires social media skills or like writing skills that a lot of people have yeah it also doesn't require you to I don't know collect donations it doesn't require you to it doesn't even require you to like live in South End you know I was organizing with a group in New York for about uh, four months after I left New York, <laughs> you know, still very heavily involved in their in the operations mm. and in, in, in the social media, um, in the direction, in in the kind of the mission, right? Like there are just so many ways in which our existing practical skills can be used, right? Think of, you know, my, my day job, I'm, I work in a corporate structure. I sit in front of a computer all day. I, uh, I, I do spreadsheets, emails, presentations. That's kind of all of the extent of my job. Um, so I have all of these pre-existing skills that can be really easily used, right? Whether it's even just facilitating a meeting, you know, people yeah. don't love doing that, but as someone who facilitates meetings for a job, I can do that. It's very easy. I can create spreadsheets for a, either a project or even an organization, right? That I'm working with. I know how to send professional emails to request for, you know, whether it's resources or, uh, you know, donations and things like that. So I think most people are not thinking about the, the practical ways that they can help because they view well, first of all, we have the concept of charity, right? Which is very like, you know, it's run by professionals. You, you work, yeah. you work as a non, you work in nonprofit for your whole career. And that is, that's like the, the validation that um, that's the validation. And that, that's why you get to, to do this work. Um, or you're an elected official, right? Something my mom always asks, tells me like, why don't you just uh, run for a position? The problem. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, I don't know. I think there's other ways, right? So people see these like very siloed, very, uh, almost extreme solutions, right? Like either you dedicate your whole life to this and not and you basically or burn you do out. nothing. Yeah, or, or there's nothing, <laughs> yeah. right? Or you yeah. just sit at your desk and I don't yeah. know, share, share something on Instagram and maybe donate <laughs> here and there. But there's like there's literally nothing in between in in terms of what how people are thinking. Um, and you know, I think of all the people that have disposable income, right? Mm. Um, and like like I was saying, you know, during COVID, um, you know, we we helped uh, our neighbors with groceries and stuff and then it's <laughs> I just remember um going and then just you know dropping off and they're being like oh uh do we like great do we need to pay you like no just <laughs> groceries I'm like oh okay and you know even if you don't do that yourself right you can create the spreadsheet that <laughs> has yeah has all exactly. the people's names what they need yeah. you know you can you can put a call out for you know the people that we were helping and um, we're specifically Mandarin speakers right you can pull a call out for so yeah it's like all these like small ways, right? Where you don't, your face doesn't have to be attached to it. Your whole life doesn't have to revolve mm. around it. Um, and I think this is actually a really great way for people to stop feeling so helpless, right? And I think people might not like hearing this, but I think what we also often see as well is that when it's middle-class privileged 
cis white people that are are seeing these things happening that's not directly in front of them what happens is um and you know for for all of us as well we're all of us who are not you know severely marginalized right now or you know undergoing direct violence when we see these things happen around us right um we can either kind of collapse in on ourselves um and feel helpless and you know i see a lot of i see a lot of articles written by millennial white privileged people talk about this malaise talk about this um paralysis talk about this uh i don't know overarching fear of doom or you know um yeah you know inaction or you know, whatever whatever passive language that they try to use but then i see articles by marginalized people who are actually facing everyday violence and the way that they talk and how they respond to the situations happening around them is very different so mm-hmm. i think it's you know it's quite telling why or how people with privilege tend to like shrink back in on themselves whereas people that are i mean it's a survival as well right if you're directly affected yeah. by something uh, you you have to respond but the way that you know marginalized people embrace each other and embrace the problem and immediately look to solutions versus oh um i think i'll just call my representative for the the sixth time and what <laughs> for them for you know uh, the the 10th time as i've been doing my entire life and just praying that something will happen um yeah. so yeah i think it's so easy to start looking for practical ways to actually get involved and you know do one thing Uh, one thing that um, that you have yeah we 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 um it wasn't me it was Carrie Carrie made a form a google form for local businesses and local people to put forward any way that they could volunteer to support and help us how does your business yeah yes exactly yeah so um we we did this and then forgot that we made it (laughs) the only problem is we're doing so many things that um, actually going through the the forms and actually going through and being able to reach out and contact individual people and find a way for that to work for us. Double check as well that they are someone that we would trust in that position too. Um, yeah, but what we did was forgot that the form existed. So then I had someone message saying, hey, I filled your form in ages ago and I haven't heard anything. Um, and I had also made a form that was specifically for volunteers for the care bank, just as bodies to help distribute, help set up tables, blah, blah, blah. And um, and I looked at that form and I was like, no, I haven't got any of your details here. And then, um, yeah, this person was like, well, it's on your Instagram. And I looked and I was like, oh my God, who started this? Um, and I looked at the spread, I like attached it to a spreadsheet and had a look at it. And I was like, oh my God, there's so many really good stuff here. Um, and we could we could totally utilize this stuff but now it's been quite a few months since they filled this in so we need to re-touch base Um, and the first person that replied to that is a friend of ours who runs uh, a Montessori playgroup so it's a child-led playgroup really that she takes around different halls so our new care bank that we've started it's only once a month in a much nicer hall with a carpet and it's warm and it's you know the hall that we do the other care bank which is every two weeks is a bit colder and a bit grottier and is used for free a lot you know um but this new one is is quite a nice new build so we invited our friend to come and run a a little play group so that when service users come with their kids because let's face it mothers are 
predominantly um, uh, affected by poverty more than a lot of, you know, mothers of any <laughs> any other marginalization, but mothers in, in particular are, are very, very much disproportionately affected by poverty. Um, they bring their kids and the kids can stay and play um, and use the toys and hang out. And we've got tea and coffee and they can hang out and chat. So now we have Emma donating her time every month. And that's what she does. She just comes down, she brings her all her equipment and that's her contribution. And it's, it's fantastic and it's wonderful. And it's added this nice, lovely, extra warm layer to what we do. I must go through that form and really look at, <laughs> because like you were saying, there is, you know, we, we were hoping we could get someone that could take minutes on our meetings because we have these meetings and we get so passionate and fiery. And then we get to the end and we're like, oh, we forgot to take notes. <laughs> what did we say about this thing when where's where that email address you know and, and and so we have to go back and everything takes twice as long whereas if we had someone who does that and is of that mindset like we're quite lucky because a few of us are I'm not including myself in this but a few of us are quite good at marketing and in social media Kerry for example is like a business coach so um Kerry has been uh, done all of our reels you know and, and that's not something that we're very comfortable with doing normally but Kerry makes them fun and she'll send us an audio and be like I want you to do this and we'll do it and she's like we need to have our faces out more so people see who we are and they can relate to us more and if it brings more people to the care bank brilliant if it brings more donations to the care bank even better um so she does that and she does you know and Lauren um is fantastic with all the political stuff all the statistics everything and so she'll write the massive long essays of why we should be doing this and shouldn't be doing that you know and and it's brilliant I like to rally people so if there's an event that I think we can put on I'm on it and I'm getting us all together and or I'm attaching us to an event so we all use our own individual skills but there are stuff that we need help and support on too so I must remember to go <laughs> through that spreadsheet and have a look at some of those things um but yeah you're exactly right uh, Sarah, so that, that we need to have people's mindsets need to change a little bit on how they can support um, whoever they want to support, you know, and we do have a lot of conversations with people that are not local who want to start their own care bank somewhere. And so we can only impart what we've learned along our rickety way. Um, and, you know, and the biggest message is just do it. You know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but you've done it, you know, and you can only improve on what hasn't worked. You can just keep, you know, because what's happening in our local area may not be the same in your local area. You may need to reach out in a totally different way. Um, oh, <laughs> I don't know if you had that. I was busy road here. Um, yeah, and people do feel paralyzed right now. Um, but the more marginalized communities are so used to having the shit thrown at them and having to work and push through it and do something that we're more likely to get up and do something. And then when, as soon as we're in a position of mild privilege, we share that, you know? So I can completely understand how those things are. And I have seen so many of those articles of saying like, oh, uh, millennials and Gen Z, they are just crippled with the idea of what's going to happen to the future rather than, they're coming up with ideas and they're doing this and they're doing that. And it's, it's, it's a shame because there is a lot, there's a lot of potential. And I feel like the younger generation are already doing a lot 
for example, for the queer community, the amount of awareness and, and conversation around queer identity and, 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 and queer rights as well and trans rights right now is, is very loud and it's exactly how it needs to be. It could and should be louder, but it's the loudest that I've ever known it. You know, my school career was during Section 28 where we weren't allowed to talk about it at all. We weren't allowed to be queer. We weren't allowed to have it discussed. You couldn't talk about someone having two moms or two dads. Your school teachers could not disclose their sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. And that was when was this? How many years was that? Um, it ended in 2003. And that was the year I did my GCSEs. So mm-hmm. my entire schooling career was during um, this. And when now- did that start? Sorry. In the 80s. Oh, so wow. it was a long time. Now, long 20 time. years later, we're they're doing the exact same thing in the U.S. In Florida. Yeah, the U.S. are trying to bring it back, yeah. and They, I, they I have think... brought it back. <laughs> oh, yeah. In, in, yeah, a, in a big way, yeah. They've already prosecuted um, teachers and parents. Yeah. But, I mean, I, they touch upon it in um, It's a Sin as well, that, you know, one of the characters goes and works in a school and, <laughs> you know, they, they ask him to get rid of any book that may have any any reference to any homosexuality at all what's it's a sin what's yeah it's a it's a tv show that was on was it 2020 or 2021 um it's a channel 4 show it's set it's based around these uh this group of queer friends living in london during the height of the aids pandemic mm. it's a really good watch it's a really succinct picture of that moment in time um so many gay men were dying um and just left to die you know and the the answers and the solutions and the research was just left to the queer community and the support was left to the queer community to support the rest of the queer community it was it was a massacre you know there was no no love and support even when they finally released like a government-sponsored advert or i don't know to warn people about AIDS and to alert them to the symptoms. It was a gravestone AIDS and it was just very doom and gloom. And, it, and you know, and everyone, the rhetoric was this only happens to gay men, which it, it's not true. It's not true at all. And we're having a very similar story right now with monkeypox. You know, we're seeing, oh, yeah. we are seeing that gay and bisexual men are predominantly diagnosed with monkeypox. Is it that, or is it that gay and bisexual men see a rash and they go and get it dealt with straight away because they remember and they know to get this stuff done? Um, is it that we have more people who are usually very privileged who are feeling too ashamed to go and get rashes checked out and are just spreading it everywhere even more? But we're blaming a mi- marginalized uh, minority. I, I, I'm feeling this monkeypox thing at the moment. It's, it's frustrating me seeing that headline. I can't. I can't understand how a contact skin rash can only affect gay and bisexual men or predominantly affect I don't get that. I don't know. Is it a bioweapon then? (laughs) Because that's the other theory. (laughs) No. I mean, it was around during smallpox. It's been around for a long time. And it's just another kind of pox. You know, we have these things and it needs to be dealt with and treated. And it needs to be done in a way that doesn't marginalize people. I mean, we've just come through all of this shit with COVID, you know, it's, it's not down to the Chinese cramming animals together. People are cramming animals together, okay? The whole world population has a culture of cramming animals in tiny cages and eating them. This is what 
mankind all over the world are doing. This is not down to Chinese people in one market. They're just one tiny speck of what's happening. You know, we don't need to see only Asian faces representing COVID. We need to see that the, the majority of the spread starting in England happened because Italy was plagued with it. And all the white privileged people went skiing in Italy in half term and brought it back here without any regard to the fact that they may be susceptible to catch something that <laughs> because they weren't Asian. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. I don't understand this monkey box thing just because like have they also discovered the the gay gene in the process <laughs> of the monkey box the uh, only way we'll it's transmitted for that oh yeah well we do have a vaccine for it that's yeah. the thing that but for the, gay the, gene the awareness <laughs> oh, <laughs> well I'm sure that I'm sure there has been more funding in looking for a gay gene than there has been in supporting the gay community mm. I can assure you that some horrible person out there, for example, you know, and there's always someone willing to fund an awful thing. So I, I have endometriosis. It's a very debilitating chronic illness and it's very, very difficult to finally get diagnosed with it. You know, there's a seven uh, on average, it's seven years between first appointment to diagnosis. For me, it was 14 years oh my God. between first appointment and finally a surgery the only the only way to diagnose is a surgery and so when I was finally diagnosed I was looking for research I was looking for research I was looking for hope for some relief you know and I found an article a funded research on the hotness of people that have endometriosis what wow someone paid for this uh (laughs) important important science someone very hot as well I'm sure yeah important science you must know (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we must know how attractive people are. They've got endometriosis. <laughs> so I can guarantee that there will be a study. I think Lady that Gaga paid has for. that, right? Yeah, I think she does. Maybe yeah, she yeah. funded. <laughs> yeah, maybe she'll <laughs> She's a good example. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and, and that comes back to the charity thing as well. Like, oh, well, I'm funding research, I'm funding research, but like, are you or are you harming? Are you contributing to the harmful narratives that we are putting out into the world by publishing this awful paper, you know, whether it's the hotness of the, you know, the attractiveness of people with endometriosis or finding the gay gene or blaming gay and bisexual men for monkeypox. It's a skin contact. That's how you can catch it from skin contact. So children in the swimming pool, you know, like Verrucas, they can catch them, right? But yeah, but it's not as good a story when you can't judge, you can't judge children for (laughs) playing in a pool. I mean, are we, can we really just get rid of all the children? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would, I'm pro that. I know, I know you're a parent here, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Oh, there are many days I wish there were no children. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Children of men. Great. uh, Great. Utopia movie. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a that is a really good movie. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So, do you think we've covered everything? Did you cover what you were fired up about, Sayosa? Um, I think so. It was probably just the bit where I was just annoyed at people for um, being lazy. <laughs> well, we don't want to use the word lazy. <laughs> no. Well, only capitalists think that laziness is a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> or that even exists, right? As a yeah. as a quality, um, or in fact, it's probably just yeah, different ways that we well, react. Mean, I just I also think that it's unfair to 
um, not unfair, but I think it makes sense that we're so defeated because, you know, the systems that we're talking about are purposefully making us defeated. Like all the stupid excuses they come up with is like purposefully to make us feel that we can't make any progress in any area. So it, again, propaganda works and mm -hmm. even for young people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I think it's just rather than, it's like rather than letting people try different ways of having a community or distributing resources, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's always really interesting to me when instead of, instead of saying, oh, that's interesting. Oh, interesting you're doing that, right? The first response is always, oh, that's not going to work. Oh, why would you do that? Oh, really? Oh, ugh, yeah. You know? Um, and I think I, I came across this thought experiment, Tragedy of the Commons, no. where, uh, so I think it was by some English writer in the whatever century. Sounds very um, English, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and the whole concept is basically, you know, it, it, was, it, was, a, it was almost a fear-mongering, uh, a cautionary tale of saying that if you have property that is not state-owned or not private property, if you just leave it to a community, if you just leave it to people, right, it's going to go into disarray, right? And that's a response that we see all the time, especially in already under-resourced neighborhoods or areas mm. where there's, you know, high level of dilapidation or neglect, which again is not done by the people uh, who live there. Uh, that level of that kind of level of neglect is is always is always systemic, right? So you you know you uh, you you have people walking through an, an a, you know an underserved neighborhood, and maybe there'll be like a burnt out car or like rubbish. Everyone's like, oh, see, tragedy of the commons. Yeah, if you just leave people to their own devices, then you know, uh, and uh, also contribute to that whole broken windows policing yeah, theory uh, in, in New York window. as well, which is an absolute failure in in public safety and policing. So yeah, it's like this i guess this ideology or this like false ideology that we have like this this i guess that was a pre-capitalist if it was like 18th century but right but like this attitude has been so pervasive right that we can't help each other because it's in our human nature to always fight against each other when again mm. historically that's, that's not true and it's not it's not observed that's just not what happens where right if you if you leave people to their own devices or if you leave a community in charge of their own resources then they're just gonna you know they're just gonna let it go to shit because mm -hmm. they don't have the wherewithal to, to be able to I also feel nice like story. it's this is part of us being part of the empire like I'm always <laughs> about the empire and the empire but it is isn't it it's like the UK and the US with the empire and so we can never look at any other examples like outside in history or in other countries of things that work we have yeah. to just well, sort of I mean, like... especially because the US and the UK have spent so much uh, resources and violence to erase any evidence exactly. of other mm -hmm. ways of, you know, yeah. um, building society uh, yeah. from the records because, well, they don't, well, we don't want to get any ideas. Right? I mean, not yeah. only are they erasing the, yeah, like you're saying, the um, achievements made by other countries, they're actually actively destroying <laughs> any systems that actually do work that are different from ours. So yeah, yeah like if we also actively them. dismantling other systems, right? If you think yes. about Who, countries in Africa, countries in wars, countries in America. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just like extraction of wealth. I mean, we're just that the, whole, just the best people. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? It's like, well, if communism doesn't work, then why do you spend so much energy in 
assassinating leaders yeah. in destabilizing a country right if it's gonna fail then just let it fail on its own and you know yeah why do you have to have an embargo against cuba if it's such a shit country you know it's yeah. a sense of control though isn't it they're, they're terrified of losing control losing their power of the control of all the people and and you know we're seeing it keep, keeping people in perpetual poverty and telling them that they're our only finite resources and even though we I mean even what today we had we're finally gonna have a windfall tax on on the on, on energy bills and it's conveniently timed the day after the Sue Gray report came out so we finally mm -hmm. hear something that could overthrow this current government I mean it probably won't because they are so they have their claws so deeply embedded in things but it has the possibility of Boris maybe not keeping his seat. If enough people are furious enough to have their vote of no confidence in him, he will go. And so now they say, oh no, actually we, we can put a windfall tax. We can, we can, we can do this. We can do this now. It's all made up. All this stuff, like the increase in um, energy bills is, mm -hmm. is down to the government saying, oh, actually we're going to increase the energy bills. Mm -hmm. It's not because they needed to do that. It's like a we, choice. And we know, we mm -hmm. see the profits that these companies are getting. So yeah, it's a choice to keep people in poverty, to keep people thinking that they don't have the choice, that they don't, we don't have the means to share. Whereas mm -hmm. really it's just a, a um, an intended mean to stay in control. If I can be in control, I can make the rules and I will never, ever, ever be in a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, spreading that around the world. Like we, oh, we know this best way to run your country. Mm -hmm. We're going to destroy how you do it and show you how we do it. And in the meantime, take away all your power so that we're actually in control of your mm -hmm, country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just on that a little bit as well, right? I think hopefully, I mean, aside from obviously being more active in your community, I hope people are also thinking about how not robust our democracy is, mm. whether it's the UK or the US, right? Um, why are there no accountability steps that the public can take? when there's clearly gross misconduct? Why is the prime minister able to continue serving um, when it's, and the only recourse is people in his own party, which obviously has right. a vested interest in keeping him in, in the seat. Who voted him in in the first place, right? Right, why, why does the power only lie with them to be able to uh, remove him, right? Uh, you know, we're so removed from an actual democratic process, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like if you think about I mean, it was, oh God, it was so depressing uh, when, when uh, the, the leaked uh, draft of the Supreme Court decision on yeah, uh, abortion overturn um, Roe versus Wade, right? right? It was so depressing when that came out when, you know, obviously people were furious and, and devastated. And immediately the Democratic Party started emailing, you know, <laughs> everyone with a request for donations and blah, 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 right? You had representatives saying, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna do this. We're gonna change it. When it was very, they could have because, codified it so many times already. Yeah, they had fifty years to codify mm. it. Uh, it was also a bizarre thing to say because they also knew that they don't have enough votes for for one in the Senate to be able to pass it. So why? So the fact that they're saying we're, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna rally, we're gonna do something when they know in reality they have absolutely no means to be able to make that a reality. Mm. But we have midterms coming up, right? So it's a it's a really great way to to get some more campaign funding for that. And also ignoring the fact that Nancy Pelosi previously had said she was actually in Texas campaigning for a Democratic candidate that was anti-abortion. 
And mm-hmm. she had previously said, well, the, we, we, we love, we love Democrats. We need all Democrats. So whatever they believe, we know we're fully, we're fully on board with it. So I'm hoping that people now see that we don't live in a, a democracy that is remotely able to actually reflect the will um, and the needs of the people, right? That's kind of the definition of democracy right now. Mm-hmm. Our, our countries reflect the needs and the wills of people with the most power and resources. And obviously that's a much bigger question, but I think to tie it back to mutual aid somehow, <laughs> is that mutual aid essentially is saying, right, we don't believe in the, in the powers of the institution. We don't believe in the principles that these uh, systems are, are built on. So we're going to actually take that away and we're going to build up our own assets and we're going to build up our own power, I guess, um, mm-hmm. not to say power over, but, you know, just power. And we're going to keep it here. And this is going to make those existing institutions less and less or seem less and less valid and effective, right? Because institutions require us almost, it's almost like the truth fair. We have to, we have to believe, right? We just have to believe. <laughs> yeah. And obviously it's enforced violently by, by despite but <laughs> all evidence of the country we have to believe but yeah but we have to believe right we yeah. can we can just turn around one day and say you know what we don't and we don't abide by this anymore i mean um, that is one of the things that a dean spade that i gathered from that dean spade book um and you kind of touched upon it a little bit with the pl- empty plate um pro- protest yeah i guess we would call that a protest yeah right was he was talking about how when mutual aid projects scale up it's not about how many social media followers or just like how big it gets within the nation. But he was he gave an example of something scaling up to a factory factory strike. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's like the scaling up in therefore in mutual aid or sort of built in. I think we've kind of been talking about it a little bit indirectly is the organization and the mobilization against these structures. Um and I guess it makes sense. Like from what you're telling me, it makes sense already because you're sort of hooked into the community in a non-patronizing way. So you're aware <laughs> of what people need in that yeah. community. And therefore, when you want to protest something, although you did just tell me, <laughs> you just told us <laughs> that it, it's, it's you're saying like you did three protests and the third yeah. one had the least people. Yeah. It depends on what is hot right yeah. it depends still, on what's in the we're paper we're still dependent on the actual structure so i guess like what from what you're saying from what you're both saying it's you know mutual aid is just getting into our zeitgeist now right like i mean mine okay <laughs> but like it's been it's existed for years and years and years but now it's like a, a little bit more of like a recognizable phrase Mm-hmm. And so as it, if, if it's more clearly defined, <clears throat> the scaling up of mutual aid will just be inspiring, I guess, for different groups. And then maybe yeah. we'll have a different structure. I mean, I think the scaling up know. is not how we would typically define it, right? And I think it's, it's so interesting. Uh, it's not more money or more no, recognition. Yeah. And, and, you know, mutual aid, yes, in its current configuration, right? But if you think about how other communities... Um, indigenous communities have always operated it's kind of that you know like well I mean when I was reading about it it did really sound like communism socialism like the ideals of it the concepts of it you know rather than the 
historical political propagandized whatever but you yeah, know the yeah, actual yeah. yeah the actual concept was there mm-hmm. um the equality the mutual yeah exactly so it's it's very um yeah it's very not about the definition right and something that's also uh for uh, crucial I think or essential to a lot of mutual aid groups as well I mean not everyone obviously has the same philosophy but um if we talk about charities as well right it's very mm-hmm. um it's very specialized right you, you maybe need to have a master's degree to be I don't know a policymaker in a charity whatever um or to you know oh, oh you need five years experience before you can move on right um something that's really uh well I think that leftist circle struggle with but um, try to try to live by is um, the accessibility, right? You don't necessarily need to know that you're doing mutual aid or to have a right. dictionary definition of mutual aid is to participate, right? If you join a meeting, uh, I hopefully Kira, you guys don't quiz new joiners on you know, on no. their on their organizing philosophy. And, have you, you read know, all of Mark's works? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so removing that barrier to entry, right? Because the, the thing with um, these things is that they're very, um, it's also very siloed, right? It's like only a specific set of people can engage, right? Because they, they, they gatekeep the knowledge and they gatekeep the solutions mm. and they gatekeep, well, I went to uh, this prestigious university to learn about how to create this policy. Therefore, you know, I'm the best place person to do it. So mm. removing those barriers as well um, also just makes change happen um, a lot faster. And so yeah, so in terms of growth of mutual aid groups, right, the, the growth is not necessarily, uh, or the goal is not to become a national uh, organization. The goal is not to become mm. an international organization. The goals usually are to be able to be interconnected with other groups that are doing either similar or maybe complementary things so that you yeah. can provide mm. even more holistic services to your own community, right? It's not about, mm. uh, it's not about taking over the world, right? You know, I think... Another concept that uh, that follows um, mutual aid is is the concept of solidarity, right? Which is power sharing, not power mm. over. Um, so I think that the more that we can build up these networks, then the more that we can actually provide, uh, you know, things for survival for communities. I think people will start to think, why are we relying on governments? Why are we relying on institutions? Why are we relying on these things that actually aren't serving us when actually these local communities are serving us, right? And that's exactly what happened with the Black Panthers. And that's exactly mm-hmm. why they were all assassinated. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it happens already. Uh, there's like a, I think it was a small town in um, in the States. Um, I don't want to mention it now because I don't remember. But, it, you know, it's a town <laughs> of a few thousand people. Um, mm-hmm. But they pra- practice this thing called um, dual municipalism or dual municipality, which means basically, you know, they have their own governing structure that is exists in tandem to um, the to the existing you know political system but they can gather a lot of resources and a lot of power away from that by delegitimizing that by be actually being able to provide the, the resources mm-hmm. and you know the services that the, the local community needs um, so that's that's getting to the political aspect of it right not even kind of the the basic needs aspect so um, yeah I think once people I think you have to believe first that it is possible to do this and then you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the more that we do it, right, the more we can delegitimize the existing structures that just clearly aren't doing much for us anyway. It's more of a hopeful direction rather than I think a lot of people, myself included, have a lot of anger, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so that's kind fair. of the Use thing. It. <laughs> yeah, so you have the anger at the, <laughs> the structure, but um, you want them to pay, but then, you know, this is actually more of a 
can like um what's the word tangible and uh productive way even have though you, not being capitalist have you seen um or have either of you seen everywhere everything ever all at once yet yes no, do you think i should watch it should i watch it yes okay oh, yeah? i think it may be the best film i've ever seen what really <laughs> so good people have told me they that it was amazing but they have no idea what it's about <laughs> oh my god it's about so many things and actually it has a very a lot of things very abolitionist message oh, at the end right anti-capitalist Mm-hmm. yeah so that's really interesting because, yeah, well, it's especially interesting because Michelle Yeoh is not really known that way but okay oh she's but that's woman. what was great about it she got to act her act her ass off which was great um mm-hmm. I mean the, the premise is basically she has to do her taxes <laughs> that's oh my god <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not sure and if that really makes me want to watch it <laughs> I'm so glad I don't have to do my U.S. taxes anymore. <laughs> okay, I understand. Okay, so I understand it's a disaster film. Gotcha. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. It does it does touch on a lot of things, and there's a okay. lot of like I don't think I've ever laughed and cried so much in wow. one one film. But oh I I really God. recommend it. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. Now I have to watch it. This is amazing. Yeah, you especially after our chat today. It's, it's a lot about disruption. A lot oh. about new views of things well I was Um, saying that I was I only got to the the kind of Asian immigrant family intergenerational trauma mother daughter relationship level um Mm. I'm still processing all of that because I was like talking to my other friends about it who aren't you know Asian or women Mm. or whatever um (laughs) and you know yeah they were saying oh yeah you know the 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 philosophical aspects of it you know absurdism like anti-capitalist like you know the kind of the love and caring message I was like oh I'm not I'm not, I'm not there yet I I still need to talk to my therapist about like, yeah yeah about I mean there are, there are a lot of layers yeah then even I mean I think that's probably why for me it feels like the best film I've ever seen because there are so many layers to it and so many that I identify with there is that <laughs> the Asian mother and daughter relationship thing as well which is very difficult and seeing the intergenerational thing there's a line in it that got me that I just sobbed I think she's trying to explain to her daughter why she isn't as honest to the gong gong as she should be and she's like he's from another generation it's different and I was just like I can't (laughs) (laughs) um and because that I've heard that line you know Mm -hmm. I I grew up with that like oh you can't be 100% yourself because they're from another generation like and that's painful to hear and then it's mad to see on screen and then their dynamic as well. And yeah, and 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 she's just going to do her taxes, you know, and, and the the situation that's happening there with that. Oh and then God. it's alternate universes. So there's other ways that things You're the happen. first person who has mentioned the taxes. <laughs> <laughs> that's the premise of the film. It's, it's very important. It has been yeah. omitted yeah. from really all advertising. It's a recurring, I mean, it's basically the whole plot of the film. Yeah. Oh my so God. Yeah. Without well, giving I'm too much away, that's the whole plot. I'm glad you guys are not marketing this film. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm definitely going to watch it from all the other things you said. That's mm. oh, that's really awesome. Yeah. How interesting. She's just so good. Wow. Um, and it's watch this. incredible to see her be given the opportunity to do that as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This There's is a lot really of layers. There's a whole because uh so I teach yoga as well, right? And and mm-hmm. I'm a mindfulness practitioner too. And there's a whole part with that's about nonverbal communication. It's it's 
it's um, put through the eyes, I will say, of two rocks, you know, <laughs> and it's a whole scene and it's wonderful. Um, it's hilarious as well. It's a very it's, emotive scene. It's very, yeah, it's very so down, emotional. Two rocks. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you wouldn't get any of that influence if it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't an Asian cast and Asian directing and everything, you know, and you need oh, to have okay. that. And the, the mix of, yeah, the immigrant family, but the integrated um, Americanness of them too. And the language too. Oh my God. A, I love the, the way, like in the first scene, the, yeah, mm, so her and her husband speaking English. Texas. Yes. And it's like yeah. exactly how I talk to my parents. It's like yeah. seamless. It's grammatically correct in both languages. It's just, you know, mm. you just switch between and I oh. can't imagine. It's grammatically correct in both yeah, languages. Right. Because, yeah, because yeah. you put, you make put, you put for, tenses around, you know, Chinese words, right? Or for you... Malaysian, it's grammatically <laughs> incorrect in both languages. <laughs> that's that's <how> we. <laughs> But the, also, each generation bad. has their own language. So Michelle, mm, so um, the, the the husband and wife, they speak Mandarin, and mm. her father speaks Cantonese, yeah. and her daughter speaks English. It's like you're talking about me. Mm, exactly. <laughs> so you'll cry, but it's English. also hilariously funny. It's graphic and gross at times. It's it's really it's it's a it's a revolution i can't wait wow. for um, to see what happens because of this film oh my god yeah. this they <laughs> free oh therapy for this should be on they really made paying your taxes look really cool <laughs> the irs should have this on their website <laughs> oh yeah well, i don't know they probably won't want that <laughs> it's a bit no. messy. i have to watch this movie i think definitely definitely <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, I think we've covered like we've even we've covered death and taxes. So I feel like we've covered everything. Oh yeah. God, that is the meaning of life, isn't it? Oh, the, yeah. those are the two. What is it? In America, Unavoidable. They say, yeah, the, thing. the two. Yeah, mm, the universal thing, things two, or something. The two yeah. things you can not avoid. Eliana, <laughs> um, I know at the beginning you said that you also maybe felt like you weren't sure or that you were angry and that you know obviously. Um, I, I made you read a book about <laughs> mutual aid uh, in the same week that you know we were talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very curious to hear how you feel after this conversation. And do you feel more energized? Do you feel like you have more ideas? I feel more energized. Um, I don't know because <laughs> I don't feel completely tapped into my community. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the thing that um, I, and I haven't really been doing that so much, just sort of like ventured out of hibernation a mm-hmm. few months ago. So I don't know about that. And you know what? The other thing too is that I'm actually not used to having a community mm-hmm. because I'm so used to moving around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the most you know time that I've lived in one place is nine years. And that was like the first nine years mm-hmm. of my life. So that's the other thing. Um, so I don't, but I do, but then yet on the other side of it, I guess the thing is on the other side of it, that anger thing of like why things are not fair, you know, against our politicians and they're just such liars and all these things, there's nobody to vote for. That was the thing that I was complaining to. Um, I can't remember how to say your name. Sayorsa. <laughs> <laughs> Sayorsa. Um, I was complaining to her about it like a few months mm. ago. Like, 
I can't vote for anyone because blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I do agree with you that this is more hopeful in that there are people who can't give a shit about the community. And, yeah. uh, and community doesn't have needs. to be physical. Yeah, it doesn't have to be your location necessarily, but I guess um, I've had experiences where I volunteered for different things. And then like I volunteered for Swing Left and then I was like, this is not even left at all. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was like, it's just, yeah. that, that organization is just vote blue no matter who. It's not uh, left at all. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, I have to quit that. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, I volunteered for a charity that has a good, in, has good intentions. It's the Coalition um, to Abolish Slavery. Mm. So I did that for two years and I like, you know, I answered the hotline. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was mm-hmm. actually really instructive to me. And also it's good for people who I think I have a somewhat soothing voice. <laughs> so Absolutely, it's good for yeah. people to like when they're calling in, you know, <laughs> but again, it's a charity. So it's structured with the CEO yeah. that is making like what 400,000 or something like seven, seven figure salary. And a lot of their time is, um, for grant writing and mm-hmm. they have a whole, de- you know, someone, maybe two people dedicated to that as their whole yeah. jobs in that corporation. And then the people that are the caseworkers who are like, I had so much admiration from them. I, mm-hmm. the hotline was actually in that office with them. So I learned a lot from them. Mm. They were paid like nothing. Yeah. So even when I'm like, I believe in this cause stuff, I'm like the structure of this is corporation, capitalist, et cetera. So yes, to answer your question, I think I have learned a lot about mutual aid. I think the main, my main takeaway is that now that I'm looking at charity in that way, mutual aid though, is the way that I would think how a charity would work. Like if, you know, how, and I think how people perceive Mm, charities to work, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, they, that's what they're donating towards because they're not necessarily aware of the corporate structure, you know. Mm -hmm. What I will say as well about feeling disconnected from community, it's a huge, huge part of why I do a lot of mutual aid. So, um, I was really disconnected from the queer community, really, really disconnected. You know, you become a parent, you just end up in that world and there isn't a queer parent community that is that available. So I, I became part of the LGBTQIA um, yoga and wellbeing group. You know, I went to the first one um, and the second one, I was one of the practitioners on it, you know, and that, that's there and there's three of us that run that now. And so now through that, I feel more confident to be part of my community again. And then I joined another thing. I helped some students. This is a university town or city now, I should say. We're a city now. Um, And we have a university here. And so I helped some university students on their drama projects last year. And it was the, uh, I can't even remember. It was like some sort of queer drama thing. And through that, I got friendly and chatty with the chair of Southend Pride and so I joined that committee and the only reason I know about All Rise Collective is because I was teaching yoga doing the type of yoga which I love which is um, teaching yoga to people who don't usually feel like it's for them so this was the class for people with small babies Mm. purely because they tend to be on maternity or paternity leave 
they tend to be exhausted beyond belief and they tend to have absolutely no time for themselves. So this was one hour where they could bring a baby, I could cuddle it and <laughs> they get to move, you know. And I'm chatting to one of the parents and she says, oh, I've just been to a meeting. We're trying to group together out of anger from the, the election that's just been. And we want to create a feminist group that's intersectional, that's trans positive because we don't feel that's re represented anywhere. And I was like, how can I join this? And so then I became involved in that. And through my mutual aid, I have become more connected with the community. And people know me from teaching yoga because I taught, I taught so many marginalized groups and I taught school children as well. So I'm a face that people recognize, but I wasn't really connected to anyone or knew anyone particularly well because I was back here teaching and instructing. Um, and yeah, but now they're seeing that face and going, oh yeah, I remember you. And so that level of trust is there. But for me now, I'm also engaging back properly and, and giving back and doing things. And honestly, pre-pandemic, I remember sitting in, um, in our yoga group and just being so frustrated. And my biggest complaint was, I feel like I'm trapped indoors. Pre-pandemic, this is, I'm trapped indoors. All I do is work or I'm home. Like, I don't feel like I have any social life outside of everything that I have to do. And I don't even know what I want to do. And then the pandemic happened, the lockdowns happened, and I was home. And I was like, great. <laughs> this is great I've been doing this for ages um and but it helped me prioritize what do I want to do oh I enjoy doing this and I enjoy doing that how can I make that a bigger part of my life how can I engage more with the community so now this new project of trying to do an EC Heritage Month event here in South End I'm doing it so that I can connect with the EC community that's here because it's vast and I feel on my own you know I feel completely on my own here and actually now everyone that I have spoken to, there's, there's the few people that I've reached out to, they feel like they're on their own. But we're all looking around, seeing each other, too scared to talk to each other. Hmm. So use the idea of mutual aid to connect yourself to the community rather than thinking, oh, I need to be part of a community to create mutual aid. You know, you yeah. can turn it around. And it doesn't have to be huge. You don't have to start a food bank or a care bank or anything like that you can run a networking event you know oh where are where are the other Asians in my community or where are the other lasagna lovers in my community you know like <laughs> just have something you know and right. and bring people together like easy sisters my goodness and what an amazing way for our generation to get together because we are disjointed you know the et community for our generation is very disjointed because we've all been brought up to integrate mm -hmm. into yeah. the british population mm -hmm. and now and we're going actually we thought we were quite integrated but covid has shown us that we're still seen as very different yeah. we need to stick together and be there mm -hmm. for each other and think about how these things started right kira i mean everything is kind of from this this intention Right. And the same way that ESA sisters as well, right? Started as WhatsApp group now over 700 people. Quick plug there. Um, so, yeah. So it's, it's always starts with intention. And I think that's why the, um, yeah, the, the, the framing or like the, I guess, principles of mutual aid are so important because it's not about the end result of what you do, right? It's, it's not this capitalist notion of bigger, better, keep going forever, uh, yeah. regardless of, you know, whether you're still, 
meeting the needs of the, the thing that you're trying to do in the first place. Um, right. It's, it's always intentional checking in if this is actually what the community needs and then giving it in a way that's always, you know, full of care um, and respect as well. So if you apply that to your daily life at every level, at every scale, then you are essentially embodying mutual aid, right? And then um, it also prevents you from feeling, I think this is what a lot of young activists or uh, young movement people experience. And this is definitely something I experienced um, a few years ago when I first started doing more of this work is that like, you feel the sense of urgency, right? If you're if you're doing something, uh, especially if it's kind of on the ground or kind of um, a protest in, in response to something, right? You feel the sense of urgency and you feel the sense of, well, if I'm not doing um, all of these things uh, or if I'm not getting results or you know, mm-hmm. actively doing things, then I'm not doing enough, right? Whereas if you mm-hmm. actually just view these things as, as values that you absorb and that you just live by in your daily life, right? These principles, these values, I mean, the more you practice this, the more you should know. I think, I think between myself and Kira, I think we're very clear about, you know, where, where, our, where our boundaries are, where our limits are, you know, what we'll say yes or no to, right? Like what, what is a, a good activity to engage in and what's not, right? You kind of, you build up that, that understanding um, over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but it, it just starts with the intention and then starting something, right? We don't need to wait for permission. We don't need to, we don't need to go through proper channels. We don't need to get grants or, you know, um, it, it just, it comes together. Um, it might not come together immediately. You might, it might not be, it, yeah, it might be a very small scale to begin with, but it's something. Yeah. You just got to do it. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you guys. This is, this was such a great conversation. I appreciate Thank it. <laughs> do you have so any last fun. words? Cause that's a great, I think a great way to end just cause I think it was very inspiring and like <laughs> there was some action things to do. You know? yeah. Action steps. <laughs> action like. steps. Yeah. That's right. I'm, very, I'm still very capitalist. I know my, all my language is capitalist. <laughs> um, I think it was amazing to hear um, from Kira and all the efforts. That she- I hope that this gives people a sense of not that it's easy, uh, to start <laughs> your own mutual aid group or no, groups no. or community activities, it's but that it's certainly possible, um, very mm. possible. It requires only a few people, maybe even a few res- few resources to begin with, but mm. it can transform itself. And yeah, I think you really embody the importance of intention right behind everything that we do. Um, and it's really great to hear how thoughtful um, you are in, in, all your, in all your efforts as well. Um, thank and, uh, you yeah I do hope that other people will feel inspired and want to con- contribute in their own way mm, me too thank you